Entertainment Weekly. Hey, guess what? Guess what? I actually saw Black Adam. I finally have something to say. And you know what? Uh, the first thing I have to say about that, the critics are wrong. And the critics are terribly, terribly, terribly missing the point. Um, I have to agree with the fan side of Rotten Tomatoes. The critics are horribly, terribly just consistently off base on judging this film. It's uh it now tells me like tell me you haven't read Black Adam without telling me you haven't read Black Adam. This movie is it it gets the origin story done super quick. It has a nice reveal so then that way people watch and still have a surprise if you don't know uh Black Adam's origins. It does an amazing job of riding that balance the balance of just like being a a weapon of destruction and why and coming to terms with with growing and and what your purpose and your kuleana is in life uh you know i i see that there are some very interesting polynesian intersectionalities with the rocks mythos of black adam and how it fits into kandak and everything and i gotta say that like you know what for those of you that were like why was the rock chosen for this other than the fact that like he executive produced this. This was his vessel. So, like, it wasn't, like, you have to take away the fact of, like, did DC really cast him or did he cast himself? Okay? And then we'll also, like, the fact that, like, he comes from a people, a calabash of people even, that really all go back to that point. So then even if it is to be an imaginary place, I mean, there is some kind of, uh, you know, it matches. It really does. And then when you think about like the colonial imperialism, that's a conversation we're having across the islands right now. That's something that American Samoa is facing. That's something Hawaii faces every day too. Puerto Rico, Guam, right? All of them. So then he manages to tell his people's story while telling a, a likeness to a Middle Eastern people's story under the hood of fighting. American imperialism, capitalism, colonialism, the whole thing. So the other thing I have to say to the fans that are reviewing this, to all you neckbeards out there that thought this was like the most anti-woke film, you are so off base, bro. All right? What's more woke than raising a champion from a prison to fight American imperialists who have imposed their illegal occupation over a people in the Middle East only to be bailed out by the superhero equivalent of the United States Marine Corps, a.k.a. the JSA, all right? And so then the Justice Society comes in and is all like, bro, stop being bad, and they keep saving bad guys from getting torched because by this point in the movie, you're like, yeah, cook them, because that's what Black Adam's for. Black Adam is there to be your unfettered rage, the things that you wish you could do and say, and he does them, and the JSA is like, no, bro, that's not how we do it. And he finds some great ways to get back at them, snarky ways, interesting ways, but he never he never crosses the line, you know, past I mean, he stays in a weird gray area and goes dark sometimes. But as the movie proves, you have to there's always gotta be an element like that in society to be people's protector. I think that's the part that like the the right 
the alt-right even love so much about like this movie in America is they think that it's speaking to them, but it's actually speaking to everyone they want to oppress. So even better on you, Black Adam. Oh my God. Like it's just, yeah, I could kiss it all day. I'd marry that. It's it's a great movie. Like, and then you also get like the most like closest thing to PG thirteen gory destruction you can get because like Black Adam is a guy who like walk tall, carry a big stick, the whole nine yards. <laughs> like he dude, and he goes to town. Like they really like cover how fast he is within like minutes of his introduction. The whole painted black sequence. Oh my god, bro! Like you gotta watch that. Like he goes to town, um, and he got and he shows how like how how much faster he is than the flash or superman and that he could diagnose everything that he he is the lightning he is the power of Shazam and he like and he uses it like a wrecking ball he does like just watching him light up a field of bad guys it, mm. you you seriously like you get to a point of like you kind of like you get a lot of schadenfreude in this film because you watch a lot of people just get theirs finally. Like, you could tell just looking at the way that they created the characters and how bad these people are. And you watch them try to kill kids and go after people and all that kind of stuff. And then The Rock just comes through and it's just like, <laughs> lightning bolt, lightning bolt, lightning bolt. And what's just even better is then his face-off towards the end. And you get to see him recreate shot after shot of some of the most iconic covers uh, one pagers and spreads over the history of Black Adam. So to the Rock, I say in his long term of trying to bring this to fruition, he knew the source material because this was his superhero as a kid. This is who he liked, and then he, he like made it a point to even revisit him even more now that he was developing this story. And I have to say, like, dude, best way of using the JSA without making it a JSA movie, accomplished. Doctor Fate. Oh my God, that guy's needed screen time for so long, and they did it. And Pierce Brosnan, oh my God, best Doctor Fate ever. How could we not have thought of him this entire time, especially as a late in the game Doctor Fate? This is JSA years later. They've got new B squads and C squads, and you got to take, you know, the the nephew of Adam Smasher is the new Adam Smasher, and then we've got a, a young Cyclone who's been retconned a little, but I got to say that, like, it makes her so much cooler. I love the way that she operates. So, like, she really brings up the mantle, and then, dude, Hawkman. Like, the nth metal ship, like, the Thanagar and Battlecruiser was great. The, the, uh, the outfit, the way that his, his mace transforms, like, just the wings, everything. It's beautiful. This is by far the best, like, ever JSA anything in life. I've watched all the animated features, but this, this is, this is tops. We got a Black Adam murder fest. And we got through, like, a Black Adam mythos really quick to the point to where, like, he's ready enough to, like, encounter Superman. And not on, like, the, I'm going to smash his face, but it's like, I've learned all the lessons necessary. You could be, you know, something interesting. We could be allies. I don't know. And that was probably, like, the coolest part of him running into that extra scene that they added in the credits, which, go check it out. It's not much. It's not really like we're spoiling anything other than the internet has told us he runs into him. And they don't say much, but we get enough of a feeling of how much that The Rock's vision of Henry Cavill's Superman it might help change the Snyderverse Superman because he just looks, he's, he got an upgrade, got a slightly different suit. He got that curl going on like it's 1988. Like, it's, it's cool. But 
with that being said, what does this provide for the rest of the DC universe? Because, you know, he's ready. He could hop in to the Justice League. But at the same time, like, the The Rock has stated that, like, he would really like to go down the road of, like, Black Adam versus JSA versus JLA versus the biggest thing ever. And that that means that, like, he's probably got some kind of a vision for an Avengers Endgame-level event. But this comes into contention now with James Gunn taking over DC Studios. Like, Saffron's out, which is great. That needed to happen. Hopefully, like, James Gunn gets in fast enough to go, I can fix Batgirl. Let's get rid of the Flash. And we do. <laughs> but crossing those fingers aside, James Gunn, from all the rumors swirling in his uh, now seat of power, is that he's looking at, like, Justice League versus the Suicide Squad, which is not too bad of an idea, especially per what he's been writing recently. His strong suit is fixing the Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, at all, uh, especially with like the storylines that have been going on in in the comics, and then like even the animated movies. Like, yeah, I can see how The Rock would rather see a JSA JLA movie, which to me that makes sense because like we have gotten Suicide Squad versus the Justice League before, but I don't think we'll ever get it the way that James Gunn's going to give it to us. So I think if he can give us that, and we can get a Black Adam versus Shazam movie, that would probably like fix it because then maybe we just move the Shazam into JSA and then they kind of just sit as a last minute call in like Endgame when the Justice League needs their help. They could be all the punchlines, like when the Suicide Squad, you know. But then again, are we going to end up with like the storyline for the video game? Are we going to end up with the storyline like one of the, the arcs in the comics? Are we going to use this as a way to bridge Harley over? Like, could this start a new era and then they just like clean the slate? I don't know. And but I think it's really going to come down to like what happens when the Roxy go and Gunsy go get in the same room and they don't agree. Or is Rock going to suddenly give in to this vision and understand what can be done? Only time will tell. But in the meantime, in the Marvel Universe, a weird rumor has been coming about to talk about again, a Dazzler movie, because Cameron Crowe uh, like, apparently has expressed interest in wanting to create a Dazzler picture, which I think is just like, it's interesting. I like the Dazzler. Um, I also find it interesting that, like, historically, she's actually had chances at movies before just because of, like, her character and how it could sell and just, like, how it fit in for women at the time and the aesthetic that men were actually willing to provide. So, like, I mean, she has evolved a lot since then. But, I mean, where does this sit in the MCU? Does this just become one of those, like, Disney Plus mini features? You know, I think that that's probably the way to do it. I mean, especially since Disney Plus has announced that they want to do all these little standalones to to introduce all the mutants. So it's like, dude, Mr. Crow, go get in line and just be like, uh, I'm pilot. I can fly. And then just like nominate yourself the guy to like script direct the damn Dazzler short feature for Disney Plus. Do it, dude. Do it. I, I think it would be great. All right. So. I 
didn't want to talk about this before because I thought it was dumb and I thought the internet would get over it. But uh, apparently, like, everybody's still talking about it. And then, like, it finally, like, filtered itself out to Hawaii again because everything takes, like, two weeks longer to get to Hawaii. So unless you listen in to me, Hawaii is usually late to the ball. Uh, so <laughs> with that being said, everybody's still complaining about Chris Pratt being the voice of Super Mario. Guys, guys, can we can we have a small small chat about this? Why are you upset? Because, like, isn't Super Mario the last, like, publicly accepted, like, Uncle Tommy-esque, like, racist voice? Like, please, please tell me that's not the same as Apu. Please tell me that that's not the same as, like, Charlie Chan movies. All right? Like, it is a caricaturization. It's not a real voice. It's a guy making a fake voice to sound like that and other people imitating him for years. And so, like, I mean, do you want to give the job to the guy that's been doing it? Cool, whatever. I, I don't care about that. Like, when I think about, like, we're making a movie, it's like, did Nintendo want Chris Pratt? Cool. So then that's all that matters because it's their IP. And quite frankly, I'm sure the small conversation came up inside of, like, do we really just go with, it's me, a stereotype? Uh, no, we don't because, like, it's not the smart thing to do. Also, it's going to get international dubbing. So, like, why are we so upset about just our version of the film anyways when the rest of the world is going to get someone else that's not Chris Pratt? <laughs> so you're fighting so hard for just a dub. Um, at that point, I would just be a purist and watch it in Japanese. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, really, does it matter? I quite frankly think that this is akin to the dumb conversation that was had about uh, Ryan Reynolds being Detective Pikachu when nobody really understand it, and then they watched it and they're like, "Oh, that makes sense." You know, I I think that there's gonna be some nuance that they might add to his voice to make him inflect a little more, like Mario. But I think it's really more of a discredit to the mantle that it doesn't change now with a major motion picture. Like, and then it could easily affect the games. But like, we need to come to terms, folks. There's a lot of things that like we still just like laugh along to that obviously makes someone feel worse and it's punching down. So like if we agreed that like all these other stereotype voices are considered like racist unless they have like pure contextual like reasoning for them existing, like then why are we why are we getting on such a high horse about like why can't I have Mario selling Mario? Because bro, it's Hollywood and they want Chris Pratt and he's money right now. Like, so even if you don't like him because, like, he's in that Christian mega church crowd or because he's, like, marrying a Schwarzenegger or because he's, like, you know, I don't care, dude. Like, there's there's movies of his that I don't like, but I got to say that, like, I'm stoked about Super Mario. I think that, like, he's an interesting choice just because of the type of behavior that they want the Mario to have. So he's going to inflect that and it'll express well. And then I think Jack Black did an amazing job because he doesn't sound like Bowser and he doesn't sound like himself. He's made a new Bowser voice, more or less, and it works. And he's great. And uh, nobody cared about that, you know. And then I guess there was some light complaint about about Toadstool, but it's like, okay, like, it's not the, the voice of Toadstool. But then it's like half of you guys don't even understand, like, the weird cronyism inside of, like, the voiceover unions. So then it's like, I, nine times out of ten, I'm pro-union. But there's a lot of unions in Hollywood that make life hard and they restrict gateways. 
So, like, as much as I'd want to support Tara Strong and her support of the OG uh, Mario voice actor for video games, it's like, you guys sit in a good old boys club that is purposefully kept that way. Because, one, none of you want to try to, like, fight hard enough to get rates changed. So then, two, everybody just pulls into the assumption of, like, oh, well, it's better for you to know 40 different voices so that way you can play the whole movie. And that's why they keep guys like that out. Because then you get one in and then, like, his union delegate shows up and is like, well, you also got to give him three parts in the background. You got to give him this and you got to give him that. But don't worry, you only have to pay him three grand like Bayonetta. <laughs> So it just it's, it boggles the mind. It really does. I think there's a lot of parts at play here that people just don't get. And I think that there are things that people are going to understand a lot better if they just took a few minutes to pay attention. And also, like, it, it's, it's a, I think it's a step in the right direction. Like, from, from a producer's standpoint, from a fan standpoint, from me as a kid standpoint, like, not even, like, Come on, guys. You're talking to someone who grew up in the age where my Super Mario was Captain Lou Albano. So as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't sound like Captain Lou, and he's not like eight feet tall and 600 pounds. So think about that, huh? Think about that. Do you have anything against Captain Lou Albano being Super, uh, Super Mario? No, I thought not. So you should probably just get off Chris Pratt's little mustache face and let him be Super Mario, and it might actually be funny. Or... Jack Black will carry the whole movie much like anything else he does, and we'll just be okay with it. But I will have to say the other weird rumor that swirls around this is just like, think about this. We got we got Pokemon live-action movies. We got a Super Mario movie, and then we've just had two Sonic movies. Please tell me there is a Smash Bros. universe coming out of this. Like, if we're going to live in the age of, like, big-ass mega-franchise crossovers, like... Why not just, like, hit it hard and just make yourself a Smash Bros. universe? You can do it. I believe in you, Nintendo. You could convince everyone. Sega would come on that ride because it needs the money. It's got bills and ex-wives to pay. <laughs> Moving forward. We live in a fast-paced world where many people are too busy to sit down and read books or news articles. But thanks to Newsly, you can now listen to the news you wish you had the time to read. By utilizing AI technology, a natural human voice reads you the news, helping you grasp the information faster and more efficiently. Newsly provides the latest news updates 24-7, letting you browse articles from topics you choose. It even has podcasts, including ours. And listeners of Rabbit Holes can get their first 30 days of premium for free, allowing you to enjoy an ad-free experience by using the special promo code in our episode description. So download Newsly today for free on iOS and Android or visit www.newsly.me so you can stay updated on the things that matter to you. Moving forward. All right, last two things to talk about. So, The Vow, man, season two just keeps getting better. Uh, it's 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 really a head trip. It is, certainly. Uh, we got another whole episode with Nancy Salzman. Like, what? 
Like, I thought that we got a lot out of her and we were going to pivot to other people, but, like, we, Nancy, 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 and it's worth it. Like, especially understanding, like, the lengths into which Keith pushed her and now she's coming out of it. So, like, I'd have to say that watching her in these past two episodes has probably been the greatest window into, like, watching people actively unbrainwash themselves and come to terms with the crap that's going on. So, like, I have to say, like, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear what, like, Nippy and Sarah have to say about her, but, like, I think she's on the road to recovery. I mean, she could stand to get her shit together some more, but she's definitely on the way there. I, I found it interesting how she remarked that, like, she became self-aware that, like, she didn't hate Keith, but she was hating the women, and then she realized that was, like, the wrong train of thought to have. It was also interesting to understand that, like, Nearly 100% of, like, the thoughtful and usable models and teachings were actually all her. Like, down to the whole, like, trying to figure out how to cure, per se, uh, Tourette syndrome. It, w- it was all Nancy. So, like, really, I, I think that if, if there's anything that's shown out of all this time talking to Nancy is it really shows us how manipulative Keith was to the point that he really didn't do anything. He just, like, he would bat up an idea, and then he would just randomly draw shit out of his head, and then, like, he'd whip Nancy all night, and then she would turn into something that makes sense. So it really does seem that, like, Santa Claus is a fraud, and the elves have been making the show the entire time. So knowing that, like, Nancy Nancy really has a long road of penance ahead of her, and, and it looks like that she'll be able to, to make it through that, but I'm wondering how she's going to feel when she goes searching for forgiveness. I personally would love to be able to see her and Sarah reconcile just because I saw how much that eats her up revisiting that that voicemail that Sarah left her. And you can see it like in her eyes that there's a piece of her heart that's crying because she knows Sarah's right. You know, and it's not because, you know, but she's pushing it and suppressing it with all the things that like Keith manipulated her to believe. So a lot of it, I'd say catch up with it. I, I can't wait to see more. Um, but what I really want to talk about, you know, I talked about the important thing. We talked about Black Adam, which I'll probably bring that up again later because we're going to revisit it a couple times as we unpack the new James Gunniverse. But Quantum Leap. Guys, the Halloween episode was pretty epic. All right. So, like, a- as we knew from the leap before, Ben ends up in, like, the 19 tickety somewhere. So, like, there's, like, Model A's on the street. There, It's like a he's a, he can tell he's a priest, but it's also going on around Halloween. So you're like, is he dressed up or is he really a priest? And you come to find out he's called in to do an exorcism. And then you're like, okay, how weird Quantum Leap are we going to get? Are we going to get, like, that episode where he thinks he's, he's Dracula? Are we going to get, like, the Halloween episode where, like, it, like the devil and he was having a dream and it really wasn't Al and then he woke up and then he was in the real leap and then he fixed it. But I got to say the way that they did this is genius. So the entire time the audience is left to believe that we are running into a real problem caused by a mysterious apparition that is haunting this house and holding this child's soul hostage to the point where like the audience sees it, Ben sees it and things happen that make people just, you would think that he just ran into the paranormal only to find out in the reveal that it's not. 
and there's a great explanation for it and how well that plays out and how he interacts. I will have to say the whole the whole sequence at the end with her playing dead and getting everybody in on it and doing the whole like let the dead speak thing, that was classic Quantum Leap. I will have to say that this episode is more again. Two kisses this episode. How often does that happen? Never. All right? This has been a good week for entertainment, folks. Uh, so I got to say that that was probably, I felt the most Sam in the room coming out of Ben for the first time ever in that whole scene. I like the fact that, like, he's coming to terms with, like, sometimes you got to go outside of what you know. you got to be unorthodox. And that really sings to me, like, how hard Sam worked to just be infinitely everything for everyone he leaped into. So, guys on Quantum Leap, you're doing a great job. I can't wait to see, you know, everything else that comes out of this. I thought it was just amazing to find out that, like, at the end of all that, Addison disappearing wasn't because his brain on the drugs or because of a specter spirit or whatever. It turned out that Janice Calavici was trying to plug in to his hologram patterns and take over the show. And it looks like she's trying to warn him. So I think, don't quote me on this, but I think that where we're going on this is that Janice knows enough about the future to know where like the evil leapers or something are coming from or where the birth of that project is. And the whole Leaper X conversation is not related to her. I don't think she has anything to do with Leaper X or that kid that they met who becomes Leaper X. But I think that she is she's following old data that her dad left her. Like I think we're gonna like once we finally get a hard sit down with Janice, we're gonna find out that like her and Al had a lot of deep conversations, and she's essentially got a cold case file on Quantum Leap, and she's really going to be. Are like how much they put her in the show regularly is the sign of when we're going to solve the Sam Beckett thing. Because I don't think that Ben's in it to go get Sam. I think Ben's in it to stop the evil leapers. And then Janice wants to stop the evil leapers and get Sam. So like it, I, I know a lot of people don't want to hear evil leaper, but even I, when I was specking this show and trying to sell it as a kid, like everything led back to evil leapers and going to the future. All right. That's where it's going to happen. All right. And and just because we got in deep enough and and I want to start calling it as it is like. So I have this crazy concept for a quantum leap continuation when when I was first starting to write, like around the time that I, my first book came out, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to take the chance. I want to write this and then see if I can get to know anybody. But then like the more I found out, they're like, don't even try it, kid. Now we're going to make it. And then I like, you know, went in the other route, became producer, production coordinator, UPM, all that stuff. And then, like, I ran into enough guys that in my career, like, at one point in time, you run into another nerd who's like, oh, yes, I, too, have specced Quantum Leap reboots. And, you know, and so at this point, it's like, I'm, unless unless something insane happens to Quantum Leap right now and it just, just leaps out of existence, uh, you know, I think at this point, like, I, I'd rather, like, try to use the model from my spec to try to, like, figure out to see if this is where we're going to go. And if, like, 20-year-old me predicted enough of this or put it out in the ether a long time ago. So, one, I wouldn't have called it Quantum Leap. 
I would have called it Quantum Reach because then the whole point of the show is to reach Sam Beckett. And then that way old fans would be like, ah, it's a sequel. And then that way they don't worry about like all the Al and Sam stuff. Two, I would have turned Ziggy into the hologram because I wouldn't have had a Ben Song character or an Addison. I wanted to have a time baby like Janice Calavici. So my idea is that I posited that when Sam went back home in the Al Switch episode and he had that one night of love with his wife, that he made a baby and then he went off leaping and then he left that son behind. And then that's the son that we meet present day approaching his 30s William Billy Beckett. And that was my idea. And that's where I'd go. But then, so following that Billy Beckett meets Janice Calavici stream of thought is that, like, he would go in, he'd program the whole place to run on stone because he's that smart, and then the new Ziggy upgrade would operate as his hologram. So then that way he wouldn't have to worry about someone who has to sleep on the other side. or It would just be like, okay, once he has a support team, he has a support team. I didn't think of bringing in magic, which that's a genius idea. I did think of at the time, because it was 10 years ago, of like, how do you put Al in? So I really thought the easiest way to getting to Al was that Billy would have to leap enough through time and then it would cause a problem that he set up all these automations. And then we'd find that, like, one of the guys he leapt into escaped from the chamber. And then now we're off chasing the person he's supposed to switch with because he now realizes that when he switches, he comes back and he's like, where the hell am I? And then, like, the police are all on him. And they're like, William Baggett, you're under arrest. And then that's when Sammy Joe Fuller would show up. And she's like, I know what you're trying to do. And I want in. And then she kind of gets him out. And then once he's finally back at Project Quantum Leap, door slides open. And who is it? Al fucking Calavici himself. And we're like, oh, boy. Well, actually, (laughs) say uncle. But then the idea after that in Hunting for Sam would be you'd have Ziggy 2.0 every once in a while, and then Al would, like, come in and, like, back it up so you'd get two holograms for the price of one, and that would be kind of fun. But then the idea would be is that we're slowly starting to realize that there are other leapers leaping around and that in Billy's quest to find his dad that he would run into people along the way in this wild west of time travel as he slowly goes outside of his known life to go looking for Sam because Sam's leaping out of his lifetime now too. I mean that was that was the intent of season six was to go to to further into the past and further into the future and out into space and like the comic books they put him in an alien for Christ's sake. You know, like the novels aren't canon, but like all those all those conversations in the imaging chamber, one would only think that like there would be someone stuck on the other side occasionally. You know, like when Sam goes in the future he'd be in himself. But like every time that Sam goes in the past, like, is there a body displacement? Is that is that going to send it back? Like, and then that was the other thing that I wanted to put in there was like the idea that there would be a chamber receiving like Sam Beckett's body still exists in the present, and there's been people just watching people get thrown into this body in just like a government black site, and then like this whole time that like Sammy Joe Fuller has been like interviewing him and then we can cross cut back to like introducing Sam Sam Beckett's body 
and then you don't do Sam Beckett. It's just all talking to him because you're trying to figure out where Sam is. And then that's how they unlock what I was going to call the Adam Codex. And that's the, that's, that's the algorithm they figured out to slingshot through time. So I kind of kind of came up with the same idea there. My idea was that it was, it was much in the vein of like Assassin's Creed style. So then that way you would, uh, you would essentially like you would understand how to fold all of time into itself because we are relatively related to all of each other. So like, it shouldn't be impossible to just go anywhere in time. So I kind of had this like abstergo level like subplot going on in there. But uh, with that being said, it would then eventually reach to where like we'd run into a leaper and then go, is that Sam as he leaps off into the sunset? But then we'd start running into evil leapers. And here's where the funny part gets in. All right. Ten years ago, almost 14, actually, when I wrote my version of, of a Quantum Leap reboot, I actually named the bad guy Janus, J-A-N-U-S. So that was the more interesting part to me that we introduced Janus Calavici, and I had this weird thing going on that we were going to just slowly realize that these different character actors were actually the same guy and we weren't seeing his real leaper face. And then my idea was to also bankroll like the rights to the song uh, "Sympathy for the Devil," and that's how like we would uh, anachronistically put music into the past. Is that you would have like evil leapers, and like we'd occasionally do like a musical number because like Sam did musical numbers. I mean, come on, somewhere other than the night, guys. All right, like I love that piano interlude. I thought that was a great show of, of uh, Bacula's abilities. Uh, but uh, so with that being said, like I, I would have definitely like cut to the chase by like a season two to send him to the future. And then like I would think that like the way that this season one will end is Ben will make it to the future and he's going to wake up next to Addison and he'll just be like, am I home? And then and then he's going to be talking to Addison out of timeline or something to that effect. And then like past Addison or present day Addison can't find him or something, or he's going to run into another leaper that it's going to make it hard for him to like, to keep his like relationship in a, in a, in a, like a solid like rock state with Addison or something like that. But then I think at that point he's going to get, He's going to get a bit of the Faustian deal that Sam bought himself. You know, that that moment where Sam at the end of the season is like, you know, I could end this at any point in time. And then, like, you know, Al, the, the bartender Al is like, yeah, it's going to get harder. And then he just starts crying and he loses it. And he's just like, yeah, but I got to go. I got to save the world. I got to save the universe. I got to save time. Somebody out there is counting on me to save all of them. So I think that that. If the show leaves too soon, we might just strand Ben in time, too. But I think that if the show goes at its pace it does, we could be seeing uh, a leap to the future, Ben stuck in the future for an extended period of time, and then they figure out how to pull him back, and then he'll be like, I've seen things. And then he's going to... You know, then he's going to realize how much they can change in time and then how much they can't and how much of it is a real paradox and how much of it is locked. And then I think at that point, there's going to be a fight for classic leaps. And if they're really smart, they can, without even shooting new stuff, they could send him into an old leap. And I think that that, that is going to be the biggest move that they could make that would impress the hell out of everybody. I Hands down. 
they they need to go into an old leap. They need to really go into an old leap. Not like go into a leap that's a product of a leap. Like they did with the space shuttle Atlantis thing. So like I think that they like I mean let's I mean it's a crazy thing to say, but like let's go check on Jimmy, you know? Like what's going on in Jimmy's world? Like I think I think for for Sam to have to go back there, for us to dedicate essentially three episodes to that family, that says a lot about where they sit in the universe. So again, only time will tell. But until then, we're going to keep leaping every week because I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And I'm loving all of you for all of, uh, all of the follows and the subscribes and the listens. I see the numbers going up every week, and it makes me feel good to know that, like, all the changes that I made to this show as it's evolved and the things that we've done, you appreciate. Um, thank you for the calls recently. I actually, like, I was surprised to to hear it. Like, it was just such a big thing uh, to know that like what we've done with the election so far and its coverage has made an impact. And, uh, and I hope to do more for the next year. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep engaging and I'm going to keep appreciating all of you. So mahalo for everything. And I will catch you guys uh, for the Maui weekly next time. Aloha. Hmm.